Hello, everyone. It's Joanna, and welcome to Sam Magazine. Hello, everyone. You know who it is. It's Joanna, the author of the Jade and Sage Time Thriller series. The countdown, the countdown is happening. Oh my gosh, I got the proof copy, the book. I always say book, book, like the actual book proof of Spy Girls. And it was so cool to go through it. And I have a special edition copy, which has two color illustrations inside it. And it was so cool to see. Anyways, I hope everyone's doing well. I had to pause a little bit before I started recording. The reason being, I've had an Americano this morning. Black. I don't have anything in it. And I've had a mocha all within four hours. So needless to say, I was like buzzing about an hour and a half ago. I have since taken the dogs out for a walk. I've been throwing back, (laughs) not throwing up, but knocking back, throwing back the juice, just to kind of, let's say, bring me back down. Yes, back down. So I don't want to be reading um, today's story at super fast speeds. I hope everyone's doing well. We've had some sunny weather, so that's good. I want to give some thanks to my listeners. Okay, Canada, thank you for tuning in. British Columbia, Alberta, thank you. In the U.S., hello, Ohio, Connecticut, District of Columbia, Virginia, Virginia, thank you. You're a solid. You're always tuning in. Washington, thank you very much. I had some surprise, surprise listeners tuning in um, this week as well. Mexico, hello. Ardell, Hyacinth, if that's you, hello. If it's not you, I still say hello, Mexico. And uh, United Arab Emirates. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this podcast. And let's get on with today's story. First, a little bit of housekeeping. I was thinking about it. And I'm just reiterating that no part of this podcast can be used for any form of AI or AI training unless you have written permission from me and written permission from our author today, J.E. Bernard. And leading into that, let's let's learn a little bit about J.E. Bernard. J.E. Bernard wrote the short story, Bow Tied. I'm going to give you, you know, some story notes here that Jane uh, shared with me. So Bow Tied features ex-RCMP officer Lacey McRae of The Falls Mysteries, which is a women's wilderness suspense series published by Dundurn Press. The story takes place two summers after the events of Why the Rock Falls, which is a novel in that series. So the short story takes place two summers after the events of that novel. Although it was first published in the Pan-Canadian anthology Dead in the Water in 2006 
from Napoleon Press. I also have a short story in that, in that anthology. So here's Jane's bio. J.E. Jane Barnard is best known for her Falls mystery novels of women's wilderness suspense from Dundurn Press. Winner of the Crime Writers of Canada Award of Excellence and a finalist for the CWA Debut Dagger. And for the, she's also known for her Maddie Hatter Adventures fantasy series. Winner, she is the winner of the BPAA Alberta Book of the Year and twice nominated for the Pre-Aurora. Between work on upcoming novels and short stories, she devotes almost equal time to editing, mentoring, and literary juries. She migrates annually between the Alberta Rockies and the Vancouver Island Rainforest. If you want to find out more about Jane and her works, her, her website address is Jane, J-A-Y-N-E, B-A-R-N-A-R-D dot C-A. She has other links here, including her editing services. I will have all of that in the show notes. I have so much respect for Jane. She was an editor on a short story I had written a year and a half ago. And I remember... She was, she brought to my attention, and I never had a chance to say this to Jane. She would bring to my attention motivation and uh, like the sequencing of events. And the short story, even though it, it didn't get published in the, the anthology, it was because at that time I had a crazy schedule and I couldn't get the edits done in time for the you know for the the timelines for the anthology but i learned so much about writing short stories i am not an expert but i have written a short story that has since then that has been accepted into an anthology i when i write i take a totally different approach and I want to credit that to Jane. You know, she made, she asked me questions. And I remember taking the questions she asked me when she was editing, taking those questions with me when I approached this new short story I wrote. And I remember, I'm going to share this a little bit, with this new short story I wrote. I wrote it. I thought, okay, I've got the beginning. I've got the middle. I have the end. I have a story here. And then after I gave it a couple of days, and this is going to sound harsh, but this, this is just how I approach things. I thought, okay, I'm going back to this short story. And this is going to sound harsh, but I told myself, okay, now rip this short story apart. Meaning, ask those tough questions, okay? I remember, and it's hard, you know, I remember looking at one character and I thought, do you need this character? What does this character contribute to this short story? Okay. Um, do you need this dialogue? What does this dialogue contribute to the short story? I don't just accept the status quo. So you've written a short story. Now test it. Like, test it. Try to rip it apart. And... It's amazing how a story can change and blossom. And the questions she asked me, just like I said, they resonated with me. And Jane, I am so thankful. I really am so thankful. And, and that I hope that's what I'm, I'm getting across, okay? All right. Now let's get on to Jane's story. This is a cool story. Bow Tide by J.E. Bernard. Five wireless webcams. Check. Ten miniature motion sensors. Check. Portable floodlights. Check. Lacey McRae ticked off the last item on her list 
and closed her day timer. That left nothing to do before her Friday afternoon appointment but eat lunch and pat herself on the back for being safely divorced at last, like her new client, Nicolette Crane. Nicolette Crane hadn't actually said she was recently unmarried, only that she was now living alone and wanted a full security installation this very day. The risks posed by ex-husbands were real and current for Lacey, and any woman who waived a discussion of costs had to really believe she needed protection, which she'd get if Lacey could make it so by nightfall. Backup camera batteries? Check. She made a mental note to pick up spares on the way out of town. She flicked on the news and sat down with a bowl of leftover salmon salad. The lead story was the ongoing controversy over the Bow Ridge Golf Course expansion. The developer was a familiar, short man with tall ambitions, being hustled by rent-a-cops through a thicket of picket signs outside City Hall. All suited up for a TV appearance, he would clearly not be stopping to deliver his trademark soundbite about surfing the rising tide of growth in Calgary. Lacey was about to change the channel when the scene shifted to Edworthy Park, the 10-click turnaround on her regular running route. The popular green space straddled the Bow River, approximately midway between downtown Calgary and the Bow Ridge Golf Course. Sunlight glittered on the water and on a police helicopter that hovered perilously close to the high cement footbridge. Was there a body in the water? She hated decomposing floaters. She still dreamed about those she'd encountered during her RCMP years in the Lower Mainland. White, waxy torsos, missing fingers, and nibbled-away faces. Whenever she saw dark or murky water, she imagined bodies beneath the surface, their lifeless limbs ready to trap unwary swimmers. But how did a grown woman explain that irrational fear to her swimming-for-the-scared-stupid classmates? Back on the news, a body in a wetsuit dropped from the chopper, plummeting 30 feet or more into the current. They splashed down, were swept under the bridge, and, as the watchers and the camera anxiously rushed to the downstream rail, surfaced again with a thumbs up. A police rescue boat cruised upstream to collect the swimmer, and the chopper swung away. The camera followed it, panning over a field full of lounging police officers and scattered dive equipment. Not a rescue, then. A training exercise or demonstration. Lacey relaxed enough to scrape the spoon around her bowl one last time. The scene jumped into the field, where a female reporter was almost licking her microphone as she gazed up at a well-muscled man in a navy blue t-shirt. Lacey couldn't falter for that reaction. She had much the same impulse on being introduced to those sculpted shoulders at last week's Swimming for the Scared Stupid lesson. I'm here with Tyler Marshall, the dive master, the woman cooed. He's supervising the river rescue training. Mr. Marshall, how dangerous is what we just saw? Very, said Tyler, meeting the camera's eye with a solemn blue gaze. A sudden shift in the wind could drop a diver over a gravel bank instead of into the channel, knocking him out or even breaking his neck. But he can't let the risk stop him if there's a swimmer or rafter in trouble. The Bow River is notoriously unforgiving of mistakes. Between the low spring water temperature and the strong current in some places, it's deceptively dangerous. He smiled then, and the same twinkle appeared in his eye that had led Lacey to accept his invitation for post-class coffee last week. Usually, nobody gets badly hurt rafting inside city limits on the Elbow River. It's shallow and slow below the dam. 
although they sometimes fall off their air mattresses and hit a rock while hauling in their beer string. Some folks just don't get the connection between booze and boating accidents. But falling off your raft on the bow could kill you. The twinkle vanished. Easily. At least once a month, a body turns up in an alder swamp. Rafters, wear a proper life jacket on the Bow River, please. The 20 minutes it can take a rescue boat to arrive is too long for most people in this glacier-fed water, unless they have some temperature protection around their core. We'll all drop from the chopper to save a life, but we'd rather not have to. Tyler Marshall? was a trainer for police water rescue? He hadn't mentioned that while coaxing her to go rafting with him. Surely she'd be safe with the man the Calgary Police Service trusted. She'd phone him tonight and tell him she would chance rafting with him after all. As she watched the camera follow Tyler back to the helicopter for another jump into the deep blue channel, she changed her mind about phoning. Edworthy Park was almost on her route to Nicolette Crane's house. She could stop by and tell him in person. When Lacey reached the park, the parking lots were full and cars were lined up on both sides of the narrow gravel road. She turned around in someone's driveway a block away and inched her Honda into a space, then made her way back along the river path winding through rollerblades and jogging mums until she reached to the yellow tape that surrounded the helicopter's temporary landing field. Tyler would be somewhere in the throng of physically fit men in blue police t-shirts, but how to find one set of powerful shoulders and this mass of masculine muscle? She walked along the least crowded side of the field and finally recognized Tyler just inside the yellow tape. Half hidden by a clump of bushes, he was talking to a short, faintly familiar man in an expensive suit. Lacey wasn't about to interrupt them. She waited on the far side of the bushes, watching the bustle as the helicopter loaded up for another pass over the river. If Tyler talked too long, she'd have to leave and phone him later instead. Or text. She wasn't exactly listening but the wind blew a couple of phrases her way, enough to imply Tyler was talking about going into the river from a height. Just once, she heard a full sentence. She'll be floating in the bow after the old man's gone. A boat? The police chief? Before she could puzzle that out, the helicopter's blades began to move with a whine that drowned out any further words. Tyler strode away. She ducked under the tape and hurried after him. Tyler! Tyler Marshall? A cop wearing a bright neon pre dive suit snared Tyler and pointed towards Lacey. The next minute, he was hurrying back, a huge grin filling the space between them. Lacey, this is great. I saw you on the noon news. Thought I'd stop by and say hi. I'm glad you did. Does this mean you'll come rafting? if you still want me to. You bet. What about tomorrow? I could pick you up in the morning and float you back down the river as far as the zoo. Great. I live right across from the zoo. I know. Tyler's eyes got brighter. I reverse searched you. If you didn't call me, I was going to call you. This is what a girl liked to hear. So tomorrow? Totally. 10 a.m.? The helicopter's roar took on a new intensity. Got to go, Tyler shouted. See you in the morning. Lacey backed away and watched the giant insect lift off. But she couldn't make herself stay to see Tyler take another plunge. The river creeped her out with its cold, impersonal power that could suck a person down and keep her down until she was nothing more than a lump of white, waxy fat waiting to be washed aground or disintegrate into fish food. Like those in the Fraser River, rotting until nothing was left but sodden feet trapped in floating plastic running shoes. But she was going rafting tomorrow, on this river. And the only reason? 
she reminded herself, is because Tyler knows the bow well enough to train police divers. He won't let anything happen to me. A short time later, she turned off the Trans-Canada onto a well-graveled road that ran between barbed wire fences. The westernmost suburb of Calgary dropped behind a gentle rise. White rail fences lined the road. Trees filled the spaces between fence posts, first aspen and poplar, then darker firs. A meadow appeared, alive with breeze-tossed blossoms. Past a large wooden barn on the right, a track swung left to a small, shabby bungalow, and another led beyond a screen of lilac bushes. Following Nicolette Crane's directions, Lacey passed the lilac hedge and pulled up in front of a modern log monster of a house with the usual cathedral windows for scenic viewing. She stepped out of the Honda and took in her surroundings. Not another house was in sight, and it seemed impossible that the western edge of Calgary was less than half a mile away. No wonder Nicolette Crane felt nervous living in this isolated spot. No neighbors to come running if she yelled for help. A woman waited on the veranda. Her thin face was topped by pale, fine hair that seemed almost translucent in the afternoon sunlight. Lacey put her age at around 40. Her lips lifted in what was meant for a smile, but it did not reach her faded blue eyes. The hand she held out was tanned and trembling. Ms. McCrae? Mrs. Crane. Lacey shook the hand, shifting her bag of tricks, and offered the pale woman her business card. I'm a bit early, I'm afraid. It's Ms. Crane, said the client. Call me Nicolette. Will you come in, or would you rather talk on the porch? Lacey glanced at the well-padded deck chairs, An ashtray on one wide chair arm gave off a curl of smoke from a half-stubbed cigarette. Out here is fine. Nicolette Crane pointed to a chair, took one herself, and got straight to business. You wired the cameras and alarms at my tennis club. Can you do that here? The club got overt and hidden video surveillance, motion sensor alarms, both silent and loud. Is that what you want? On all my doors and windows, yes. And I want it done right away. I won't spend another night out here without some protection. Lacey gave Nicolette Crane a discreet once-over. Stress showed in the fine lines around the eyes, in the rigidity of her shoulders, in a faint tremor of the hands. Paler line on the third finger suggested a recent marriage breakup. Was she afraid of her ex? Nicolette lit another cigarette. Someone prowls around here at night. If I tell you who I suspect, and I'm wrong, can I be charged with slander? Domestic abuse, for sure. That careful checking of possible penalties was a red flag for a gaslighter in her life. Expressing concerns privately to another person is not slander. There has to be demonstrated damage to the person you name in connection to it. Nicolette chewed on her lip. It's a businessman, she said. My ex-husband. How long have you been divorced? Nicolette's fingers rubbed the line where a wedding ring had been. It's been final about six weeks, she said. It was okay, as divorces go. Then, just last week, I started feeling like I wasn't alone, if you know what I mean. She shuddered. At first, I thought maybe there was a bear or coyotes, but I found boot prints by the barn one morning. Not cowboy. Something like hiking boots, but the soles weren't flexible by what I could tell. I don't know for sure my ex-husband is behind it, since he doesn't wear any kind of boots. But I can't think of anyone else who'd bother with me. I called the RCMP three times last week, but they never found anyone by the time they got here. They're starting to think I'm a nutcase. 
the next obvious question. Did you tell them you have a recent ex-husband? The faded eyes flitted away. I couldn't do that. He's well known in this city. He gives to the right charities, goes to the right parties, gets a box at the Flames games, and fills it with politicians and business associates. Who'd believe he was petty enough to terrorize me? He probably goes around telling people how depressed I am, as if I'm pining for the old skunk. I'm not. I'm just standing up to him for once. Is he trying to get a better property settlement? Big-time businessmen could turn brutal where money was concerned. No, he's okay with that. What he wants is this place, my grandfather's land. He wants to buy a luxury development past Bow Ridge with a bridge across the ravine for people to drive their golf courts down to the club. He even has a name picked out. Bow Bluffs. He doesn't even own it, and he already has the plans drawn up. It's your grandfather's property, you said. How can he pressure you for it? I'm going to inherit, said Nicolette. Any day now. My father's in a coma, not expected to recover. He knew the city would expand, though. When he sold the land for Bow Ridge to the city, he got his lawyers to write in a buffer clause. I forget the legal term, but it means the city can't develop right up to the new boundary. They have to leave the west wall of that last ravine undeveloped, the one between my house and Bow Ridge. My grandfather wants that strip protected as a wildlife corridor down to the river. I have his power of attorney, so I could overturn the clause, but I won't, no matter what Derek pulls. Derek's your ex-husband. Nicolette nodded. Sometimes I think he only married me for that land. In the divorce, he wanted to swap me this house here for a luxury condo overlooking Prince's Island. But the house is really granddad's. He built it for me to live in when I got married. So that didn't fly. And then Derek tried to sneak a clause about future inheritances past my divorce lawyer. When I inherit, the pressure's going to increase, unless I can force him to leave me alone. Like with photographs of him sneaking around your place at night, evidence that could be used to lay stocking charges. Nicolette nodded again. Not that I would, but I need something against him. Another obvious question, but Lacey was willing to bet nobody had asked it. Who gets the land if something happens to you? I made a will the day the divorce came through. I left all my real estate to my nearest surviving crane relation, and I sent a copy to Derek. And you've never felt physically threatened by your ex-husband? Statistics Canada had recently announced that 28% of homicides involved a current or ex-partner. Any cop with more than a year's experience could have ballparked that number for them. A history of domestic violence was one of the surest indicators of spousal murder. Recent separation, another. Lacey could have told Stats Canada that, too. Never. Nicolette shook her head. Then she sucked on her cigarette like she was facing a firing squad. Leaving Lacey to guess, answer wasn't an absolute truth. This woman was definitely afraid. Abuse was part of the spousal homicide equation. But then, so was denial. If you admitted to yourself, they might kill you. You had to protect yourself, maybe by getting an expensive bodyguard service, or at least a pair of big, nasty Dobermans who hated all men. Or you moved provinces, like Lacey had, Five years ago, she'd only recently stopped checking her phone tag twice daily to ensure her ex remained far away from her. She leaned down for her bag. So you primarily need evidence of harassment you can use as a counter threat.
I can rig up motion sensors and lights on the entrances to the property and the house, along with surveillance cameras that will send regular pictures back to a central computer. Do you want noise alarms and a hot link to me or to 911? In another province, or an earlier year, she might have said RCMP dispatch, but this was Alberta and all emergency services were centralized, with rural problems a lower priority than the constant drumbeat of urban murders, accidents, and heart attacks. Nicolette shook her head. I want to catch him in the act and have proof, not to get the police involved. Lights and cameras will be fine. Lacey wished she didn't sound so positive. All cops had seen that denial in at-risk women. Despite piles of evidence to the contrary, they wouldn't believe a man who had once said he'd love them might kill them. Photos won't do you any good if you're dead. She wanted to say, don't become part of this year's 28%. She tried to gently urge a hot link to a live human, but she soon sensed Nicolette wasn't listening. Well, maybe she'd change her mind with photos of her stalker ex before her eyes. Lacey stood up. I'll need to look over the property so I can place sensors. Is that road the only way in? The one and only by car. Everything else is fenced off. You have to drive up past the barn to get into the fields along the highway and drive down here to get back out. So anyone driving in would have to come past those posts where the rail fences begin. I can set up solar battery sensors there. There's power to the posts, said Nicolette. Grounded outlets on the back side of each, and there are floodlights along the trees controlled from my garage but I never turn them on. I like to see the stars. Lacey nodded. I ought to be able to patch the sensors into the floodlight circuit. If anyone passes between those posts, the lights will come on. The downside is that deer and other large animals can also trigger them. The deer prefer the ravine. A Greek runs from the highway down to the river It's shady and cool, and I guess they feel safer down there. Could a person follow the ravine up to your house? It's steep and rocky at the bottom. Impossible in the dark. See for yourself. Nicolette led the way around the veranda. The trees had been cleared away behind the house, opening a view that included a lake, distant hills, and snow-dusted mountains. Lacey gasp. It's beautiful. A genuine smile crossed Nicolette's thin face. Isn't it? I spent my summers here as a child, but I never appreciated it until I'd done four years at university in Toronto. All that concrete and glass gave me a cramp in my soul, and I swore I'd never live in a city again. The architect placed this house so you can't quite see the power station towers down there. We're almost directly above Bear Spa Dam. Impossible, said Lacey. We might be miles from the city. Nicolette led the way to a rustic gazebo that leaned out over a drop-off. Lacey looked down and promptly clutched the railing. It was a long long way down to a rocky shore and the aqua ribbon of the Bow River. Twin towers of galvanized steel poked their noses above the trees, marking the bare spa dam in the midst of what would look, from the river proper, like deep wilderness. Nicolette pointed to her right, where a wooden staircase wound away down the bluff. That leads to a little dock where my rowboat is kept. There's a bit of an inlet off the bow. Upstream is the dam. Downstream, there's a good gravel bank below the golf course. In the old days, my cousin and I played over there all summer while our moms caught up 
on the family gossip. They grew up here, and they were convinced nothing could hurt us. We'd swim or row around on the river, cook hot dogs over campfires, stuff like that. My cousin was always stealing my marshmallows. I used to beat him up until he got bigger than me. But he was never as tough as he thought he was. Good times. She sighed. Now it's all citified. Even the river path is paved for cyclists and rollerblades. Lacey could sympathize with the wistfulness for unspoiled nature, but she was here to work. What stops your ex-husband from coming along by boat and climbing the stairs into your yard? Derek hasn't walked up anything steeper than a sand trap in 20 years, and he'd rather fall in a pit of rattlesnakes than set foot in a small boat. He can't swim a stroke, and he's utterly paranoid about drowning. He wouldn't even try that way. I'll cover it anyway, said Lacey, but I'll wire the sensor on the road first. Isn't it nice to have daylight at supper time again? Oh, it's getting late, isn't it? It'll be dark soon. Nicolette frowned, fumbling for her cigarettes. Lacey recognized the mood change. The woman had been relaxing throughout the tour, but now she was afraid again. Nicolette, stop second-guessing yourself. A woman's instinct for danger can keep her alive if she listens to it. The moment those lights come on, you call the cops and lock yourself into a hiding place. It's their job to deal with creeps in the night. Nicolette Crane was still alive at 10 o'clock the next morning when she called Lacey's cell and proclaimed, It worked! Lacey leaned against the front of her condo building, one eye on the street for Tyler Marshall's vehicle. The lights came on. Did you see anyone? Did you call 911? I was so scared. I called them right away. They had a car near, so it did a drive-by. Pretty quick, but didn't see anyone. The Mountie is back now. He wants to know how to access the surveillance pictures. I don't want to drag you out here on a Saturday, but could you explain it to him over the phone? Certainly. Do you remember how to reset the program? You don't want to be unprotected tonight. I'm sure I remember, but I won't need to. If Derek's face is on that recording, they'll charge him today. It was one thing to only think he was spying on me, but it's another to know. He won't dare show up again after the cops talk to him. Lacey didn't have the heart to tell the excited women that cop visits and restraining orders didn't always stop an enraged ex-husband. Charges might even trigger a murderous attack, but she could drop a hint in this cop's ear while she still had him on the phone. If she identified herself as XRCMP and said her spidey sense was tingling, he could flag any further midnight calls from Nicolette as a top priority. If there was another intrusion, she'd offer to stay overnight at the Crane place, like she had with Dee and Bragg Creek during those stalker troubles. Tyler Marshall pulled up in a beat-up pickup truck just as Lacey signed off. She climbed in beside him, smiling wide to disguise her sudden attack of nerves. The inflatable boat in the back looked too small for even a single person. This was a terrible idea. Maybe Tyler would settle for coffee. Boat, personal flotation device, and me, said Tyler, apparently reading her thoughts. Three lines of defense between you and drowning. You'll never be safer. Lacey swallowed. You're right, but can we stay in the shallows for a bit? Sure, said Tyler, and talked about their day's course as he drove. From Bear Spa Dam through the old town of Bowness, past Edworthy Park and Prince's Island, under the Center Street Bridge and the old train trestle to the portage across from the zoo. From there, it would be a short stroll up to Lacey's condo complex. If you're liking it when we get that far, 
we can take the built rapids down the at weir and keep going, but I don't want to push you on your first time out. Eventually, he swung the truck into a gravel parking lot and unloaded the inflatable boat, the paddles, and the life jackets, or, as he called them, PFDs, personal flotation devices. Lacey picked up her end of the too-small-for-her-nerves inflatable boat, went instructed, and followed Tyler toward the Bear Spa launch point. With every step, the city retreated. Traffic noises faded into the murmur of water and whisper of trees. Car exhaust and hot grease odors lost a spicy willow and fresh green alder. And no people anywhere. When they reached the dam, the place felt as isolated as she had imagined yesterday, looking down from Nicolette Crane's gazebo. She took a huge breath of the sweet, moist air. This is great. She had another qualm when, thoroughly strapped into a flotation vest, she had to crawl into this boat no bigger than a single bed. But she made herself do it and sat clutching the sides while Tyler eased in behind her. All set? Lacey nodded, although she wanted nothing more than to scramble back to shore. When Tyler pushed off, he stared at the rippling water, daring it to turn dark and deep. But he kept them in the shallows, and soon she got used to the motion. She even felt safe enough to look around. The north shore was low with scrubby bushes and wiry grass. The south shore was one immense tree-covered bluff. She craned her neck, trying to spot Nicolette Crane's cliffside staircase. It's super, isn't it? said Tyler. I spent my summers on this river. My grandfather's house is on that bluff. It'll be mine soon. His grandfather? Then Tyler must be related to Nicolette. Lacey was about to exclaim at the coincidence when it struck her that Nicolette, too, thought she'd inherit. Which one was doomed to disappointment? Better not to open that can of worms with a man she hardly knew. She wriggled around so she could see Tyler. He sat smiling, looking up, trailing a plastic paddle as a rudder. I'll sell the fields and pasture to a developer, he said, and drink my coffee looking down on this every day. But what about the wildlife corridor? Lacey couldn't ask that without revealing a lot of knowledge about his family and something had picked at her the instant he mentioned selling. The short man in the bushes at the police training exercise. He'd been at City Hall on the noon news that same day. The developer, that's who you were talking to at Edworthy Park? Tyler's eyes fixed on her. How'd you know he's a developer? He's on TV a lot, giving corny speeches about the riding the tide of growth. Tyler kept staring, his face hard. What was wrong about being seen with a land developer? Unless, was it that particular developer? Was that guy Nicolette Crane's husband? Now he really looked mad. What do you know about my cousin? I guessed you were cousins when you said it was your grandfather's house. But that was not all, Lacey guessed. If Tyler was Nicolette's cousin, was he her nearest living relative? Could he inherit that land from her? She tried to keep the monstrous new suspicion from showing on her face. Surely Tyler, who was so nice about her fear of water, wouldn't hurt his own cousin. She faced front again, conscious of his eyes on her back. What had he said to Nicolette's husband that day, before the chopper noise made conversation impossible? Something about dropping from a height into the river, and she'll be floating down the bow once the old man is gone? Lacey's eyes traced the long upward line of the bluff. Somewhere up there was Nicolette's cliff-side gazebo. Nobody, 
falling from there could survive, whether they hit shore or water. Tyler, with his powerful shoulders, could easily lift his thin, delicate cousin over the railing. No. She had to be imagining things. The boat swung fast around. She clutched the side again and looked back. Tyler had drawn in his paddle and laid it on the floor, leaving the raft to twirl out to the deep, dark water of the main channel. His expression sent her spidey senses into overdrive, and she was trapped in this tiny boat with him. If she bailed out now, would she make it back to shallow water, or would she become a floater, drifting, turning to a white, waxy lump that might eventually be pulled out of an alder swamp downstream of downtown? Foolish woman, going without a life jacket, said Tyler, shifting his weight to his knees. You panicked. I tried to save you. But don't worry about floating long. I'll call on the divers once you're beyond help. He lunged. Backed over the side, her hair trailing in the blue water, Lacey fought. She clawed his hands when he tried to undo her life vest. She kneed his ribs as he pushed down on her shoulders. But she couldn't push him off completely. He just kept coming at her, rocking the tiny, twirling boat. The cold river lapped at her head. It touched her ears. It stroked her forehead. It swallowed her eyes. It crawled up her nose and kissed her mouth, ready to swallow her. The pressure vanished. The boat's air-filled rim pushed her head up. She wiped the water from her face. Tyler lay limp across the stern, eyes closed, blood oozing from a gash across his cheek. Above him stood Nicolette Crane, balancing in a rowboat like an avenging Neptune with a stubby wooden oar for a trident. Can you make it over here, Lacey? She asked, eyes firmly on her cousin. Lacey crept into the wooden boat. When she was shivering in the stern seat, Nicolette pushed the raft away. They watched it go twirling down the spring-swollen Bow River with Tyler motionless in its stern. Thanks, Lacey said. How'd you know to come? It was him on the computer, sneaking up the ravine stairs. I came outside to think and saw you both down here. I know Tyler's temper. If he figured out you wired my place, he'd flip out on you. So I told the cop to call River Rescue and rush down to my dock. Lacey sat up straighter. I saw him with your ex-husband when he said he'd inherit the land and sell it. Things clicked. I didn't tell Tyler about my will, but Derek must have. Nicolette raised her voice, calling over the stutter of an approaching helicopter. I'll make a new will on Monday, leaving everything to the wildlife fund. The chopper hovered. Divers dropped, swam to the raft, and steered it towards the golf course, where a paramedic unit tore across greens to reach the shore. Nicolette started rowing. It serves Derek Wright, getting his precious golf course chewed up, and I hope they can prove he conspired with Tyler. No more surfing the tide of urban sprawl. Trial will finish him. Lacey sighed. Your ex might not know much about water, but Tyler has no excuse. He, of anyone, should have known there's no tide on a river this far from the sea. The end. Jane, that was a blast to read. Oh, yeah. It's a good thing people don't see me when I'm reading because I'm moving my hands in the air. I just, I really got into it. And I, I remember this story, but I don't remember parts of it. And what people don't know is as I'm reading it in my head, I'm thinking, how is she going to get out? How, she, how is she going to fix this? Uh, what, what's, you know, I, 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 mm, you know, what is she going to do? Great, great suspense. I, I loved it. And, and all that, that description of the water, like lapping up on her face. Oh God, that has 
got to be one of my biggest fears. Um, you know, I know how to swim, but there's something when you jump into water and you know you can't touch the bottom. That It doesn't matter whether it's a pool or it's a lake. Bravo, Jane. I am so glad I could read your story. And you are such a professional, uh, a great author. And I hope I did these words justice. And my voice was somewhat close to the voice you imagined writing this story. So thank you very much. I hope everyone has a, a good week. Um, actually, we got the weekend coming up. A good weekend, a good week. Stay healthy, stay safe, and I will catch you next week for another short story. Bye.